Hello, I'm Gavin, and this is Let's Govern, a podcast where I interview politicians, activists, and community leaders. Today, I talk to Matt Titus, Brandon Wright, and Drew Pounds about their run for the school board in my district. Listen as we discuss the district's COVID-19 plan, empower learning, and competency-based education. So I guess we can start with um, with asking all of you why you chose to run for the school board. And we can start with Brandon. Sure. Um, well, pre- number one, I appreciate you having the podcast this afternoon and um, appreciate Drew and Matt joining in too. Um, so last year really brought a lot of uh, things to the forefront. I think last year really uh, highlighted and exposed uh, some weak spots in, in the way that we um, operate as a public school system. Uh, so I guess first and foremost, the reason that I am running is because I felt like last year there were a lot of parents who did not have their views or opinions uh, stated or or at least didn't feel like their views were represented um, on the board. Had several of those parents reach out to me last year. Uh, as a pastor here in Charleston, I, I am in contact with several different families every day throughout the week. Uh, I know that lots of parents felt like they were, they had this financial burden just kind of dumped on them uh, at the last minute. They didn't know how to react. They didn't know what to do. They really weren't given any guidance um, on what they should do. So as a pastor, I know uh, our church filled that gap for, for lots of parents, which is great. It's what the church is called to do. Um, but I really felt like the communication aspect between the board and the parents was not where it should be. Um, I have two kids in the district myself, so I understood where they where the parents were coming from. Um, and it, it, was a, it was at that moment that I vowed to at least make an effort to, to put myself in a position where I could be on the board and to represent the parents that I talked to uh, throughout the week. And then how about you, Drew? Um, why did you decide to run for the school board? Well, like um, Brandon said, you know, I appreciate you having the podcast. And uh, these these other group of guys, we all seem to uh, want the same thing and seem to uh, be civil about it, which is really amazing. Um, I mean, uh, you know, reaching out with Matt early on in the campaign when I was looking to run, and he was really helpful and insightful and um, kind of like Brandon, the same way. Um, I'm not a pastor, but I'm a coach. Um, I do a lot of volunteer coaching uh, here in the community. And I do, I have three kids in the, the system as well. And my wife is a uh, paraprofessional at the high school. So I get to see firsthand, same way as Brandon was able to see it. You know, there was a lot of uh, miscommunication, no communication, transparency. And, you know, as a family, you know, as a guy having a, having children in the district and being a community member, I felt like a lot of times, like Brandon said, we were kind of left out on the island and, you know, decisions were late. I mean, it had nothing to do. I mean, it was unparalleled times, obviously, but um, it was a lot of scramble, especially for families. And as a coach, you know, I, I deal with a lot of these youth and the same way though, you know, they're always like, Oh, what do you know, coach? Or they'll call and ask. And, you know, so it just so happened this year, you know, there was a school board position coming available. And so I was kind of convinced to do it. Um, nothing against Matt. He just, 
was the unlucky guy this year that it happened right after a pandemic. Um, so I've sat down with Matt and Matt's a really great guy, but it just so happened to fall right at that time. And I figured, you know, you can't really, if you get the information, put it out there and that's what they want me to do if I do get elected. And that's how I'll be just like how, same way I coach, you know, I'll give you everything you need to know. Um, so it just so happened to be that way that, you know, I got into it. And then Matt, so you are the incumbent in this race. So why are you seeking re-election? Well, four years ago when I uh, decided to run, I had just come off being campaign chairman for uh, the Citizens for Coles County Schools that led the 1% uh, sales tax effort. <clears throat> and uh, when that passed and the county adopted the 1% sales tax, I've taken a lot of political jobs before where, you know, after you do the campaign, you pack up and you leave town and you may never hear from folks you've made contact with, but I didn't want that to be the experience in Coles County. This is home. Charleston's home. And I, I get it when I hear Brandon and Drew talk about what has gone through the last, you know, year plus 13 months, it's been hard. And uh, for parents to, you know, feel like they, they haven't been heard, uh, that bothers me. And I, I feel like, you know, I want to be a, a voice for them and, and somebody that can be um, responsive to them. And if they decide to run for office, even when I'm the incumbent, good on them, because that's the way it ought to be. And um, on the facility side, we've managed to rack up over $6 million since uh, November 2018 um, that have been uh, put toward repairing the buildings. And we're moving into a phase now where we're actually starting to put together a strategic plan that shows what projects are gonna come next and what phase they're gonna go into and how long that's gonna take. And the community is gonna start to see uh, you know, the, the fruits of that labor uh, here awfully quick. Mm. So um, Brandon and Drew just echoed that they felt that there were some miscommunication problems. Do you feel the same that maybe parents weren't as informed as it should have been? Well, I don't know that it was a matter of being informed. I think parents are more informed now than they were before because parents see the struggles that their kids are going through with uh, the technology uh, that is required with remote learning, with uh, bigger uh outreach and communication with teachers and with principals uh, to coordinate, you know, childcare and for the churches like Brandon's church to step up like they have has been fantastic. And it, it's, it's something to watch the community really pull together. So, you know, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, encouraging and it makes me, you know, uh, more confident that when something like this happens again, hopefully it doesn't, but when it does, we'll be ready. And uh, thanks to the work that Brandon and Drew are doing, uh, people are paying attention. Yeah. So Brandon, you have publicly voiced your opinions about the district's reopening policy. Um, in fact, in September, you're on Facebook, quote, I want my children back in school, unquote. And you also encourage other parents to voice your opinions um, at the next school board meeting. So my question is for you. 
um, what would you have done differently if you were on the school board last fall? Um, well, just to be, just to get right to the heart of the issue, I, I would have voted to not close the school in the first place. Um, I would have been a no vote on that. Um, I'm not sure if the vote was unanimous or Matt would know that. I'm not sure if that vote was unanimous, but if it was unanimous, um, it would not have been unanimous had I been on the board. Um, I've been very outspoken um, about my displeasure that the schools were shut down in the first place. Um, Aside from that, one of the issues that was really brought to the forefront during the pandemic was parents want the information Unfortunately, a vast majority of parents do not tune into the school board meetings. They do not listen to them. Um, I know I had a phone call with uh, Superintendent Villardo after after the uh, meeting that I spoke at, um, and he was asking me what I thought the answer was. And you know, as a parent, um, unfortunately, I have never been contacted um, by a school board member to ask how things are going, what, what I think should be done. Um, I have not talked to any parent that has been, that's not to, that's not to bash uh, Matt or anybody else currently on the board. Um, but I just think that in today's world with the, with the situations that we find ourselves in, um, the board really has to be proactive in getting the information to the parents. Um, most parents, like I said, don't tune into the meetings you have got to take the information and go to those people. Um, the board really needs to be more active in reaching out to the community, making themselves uh, available. Um, the community needs to know who the school board members are, uh, because unfortunately, a lot of the a lot of the information it wasn't that the parents. Um, how do I want to put this? Um, what I found when I talked to the board, Superintendent Lardo, and the parents everybody really kind of had the same opinions on things, but there was a lot of misinformation out there. And I think the reason there was a lot of misinformation out there is that the board was not proactive in going out and, and letting the community know the decisions that were going to be made in the near future, the decisions that had been made, why those decisions were made um, and so forth. But the biggest difference would be that I would have voted no. The, the kids need to be in school. They need Engagement. I know the pandemic was weird and crazy. I get that. Um, but I think we jumped to square. Uh, you know, I think we jumped to the end of the game board before we let the game play out. Um, I think if we had had allowed the, the kids to stay in school and then there was a problem with COVID, then we look at shutting down the schools. But I think just to jump right to that, I, I honestly felt like we were just following all the other towns and communities instead of making our own decision. I know there was a survey that was sent out to the parents asking their opinions. Um, I, from what I understand, a vast majority of the respondents wanted to be in school, wanted their kids in the classroom, but then we decided to do the other thing. Um, so the, you know, that really kind of breaks down the trust barrier between the board and the community. Mm-hmm. So Matt, um, was that vote unanimous? And um, what did you vote for? And what was your reasoning behind that? Well, just to clarify, so Brandon and everybody else knows, the board never actually voted to close. That decision to close was made by the administrators and uh, came at the direction, really, of the State Board of Education. And uh, the administrators are going to do for the district what the State Board of Education says is best uh, for schools to do. And in a pandemic situation, you know, I think closing was the right idea. 
I don't think anybody wanted to close. I think everybody wanted to carry on, you know, the school year as normal. Um, I don't think we were in a normal situation. I think that the, the actions by the administration, including Dr. Villardo and Mrs. Holly and Mr. Burgett and the collaboration that they were able to achieve with their principals in the buildings and the uh, union leaders for both the teachers and the uh, service professionals, the custodians, the secretaries and all that, it's been terrific. And I think what uh, Brandon or Drew would learn uh, if they were on the board is just how closely together the different elements of the school district work together to, to, to make decisions. And, you know, not just Brandon and Drew, but anybody in the community, when they see how closely uh, everybody works together and uh, how decisions are made, they are, I, I think, going to be very much more, um, you know, trusting of the decisions that were made and um, seeing where the hardship that they're feeling in their families at home fits into a larger framework because everybody was going through some hardship when teachers have to completely rework their course designs to go online. That is not a small task. Teachers that have been in the district for years and years, their whole careers, you know, they're starting back at square one. It's year one for them all over again. They have to redesign everything. They have to figure out a way to bring students in when they're contending with, you know, the, the million other things that are going on in the house at any given time. And that's been hard. And uh, that's no small thing. I think that we have a lot to be proud of, of how, how we've handled the pandemic. Um, so, and, and when, you know, we had the meeting, Brandon, I think you came to it. The meeting that we had at the auditorium in the high school, we had 28 letters from parents, including one from Brandon, and 25 of them were critical of the decision to close, and I understand it. So we, we heard the parents, and we understood where they were coming from. And any parent that feels like they weren't heard, I, I, that wasn't our goal. And to the extent that we need to improve communications, we could have done that better. Mm -hmm. um, and then Drew, I'll ask you the same question that I asked Brandon, which is what would you have done differently last fall if you were on the school board? The, the pandemic wasn't really my driving force to run for school board. Um, it was unprecedented and I do feel like, like Brandon said, we kind of waited too long. Um, they were out from March for the same reasons. Um, and so I felt like our contingency plan wasn't really set. It was knee jerk, what did Matt Toon do? So we're gonna hold off. Um, that's what, you know, that's how I felt it, it went down. Now, like Matt says, there's a lot of things we don't know. There's a lot of things that aren't transparent to the community. So, you know, we're just going off of what the immediate notice, hey, we're, we're going remote. Um, as a parent, especially with one, a second grader, you know, that's the last thing you want to hear because, you know, we had after school programs set up. I had, you know, it was all set and, you know, we're going to go back to school. Everything's going to be great. They're going to run, uh, you know, the after school programs at the school. They're going to be open for the kids. So as a work, you know, working parent, my wife works at the high school. Okay, we're set. You know, we don't have to worry about it. Then all of a sudden it was, bam, we're going remote. And childcare, good luck. 
Uh, a lot of daycares, you know, were, were full, you know, and all of a sudden you're scrambling. You're like, oh, who else is going to offer? Who's going to offer this? Who's going to be able to help my kid with his uh, remote learning? Um, I understand all of that. I mean, it, it was, it, it's unprecedented, but at the same time, we did have, we did have foreshadowing of it because we were out from March on and had time to come up and say, hey, we can open this up for kids after school. There's a, we have a huge need for after school programs, you know, in our community. You know, there are a lot of kids who, when, you know, would go to an after school program instead of going home. And we lost all that real quick. And it was like, hurry up and figure it out. You know, we were told, figure it out. Well, as a parent, you got to figure it out, I guess. And so we were lucky enough that we have, you know, an older high schooler who could sit there, but that's a lot of responsibility on a kid trying to remote learn in high school and help a second grader remote learn at the same time. You know, so, I mean, his grades reflected it and, you know, I felt bad for him because I was put a lot of, a lot of undue responsibility on a high schooler. But my biggest, you know, reason, you know, going back to that. Yeah. I think, you know, they did, they do the right thing. Um, it's hit and miss. You, you will never know. Other areas around us were going to school and they seemed to be doing fine. Um, once we got back into school, things went well. So, I mean, hindsight's 2020, they say, so you never know. Was it the right thing? You know, at the time they felt it was. And as a community member, I had to go by it. You know, I had to make arrangements to make it work. Would I have been more transparent on it? Sure. You know, if I knew there was a chance we were going to go to remote, I would have told the parents, you know, in into the school year, you know, August, you know, before August, probably, you know, June or July, hey, there is a huge chance we're going remote and we're shutting down all after school programs. We're shutting down everything else, you know, figure it out. You know, you're going to have to start working now. They gave us, I, I want to say, and Brandon may note as well, it was maybe two weeks, if that, from the moment we were supposed to start to go and, hey, we're going remote. And that was starting the school year a little bit later than usual. Um, so, I mean, that was, you know, short notice for, especially for a parent. Mm -hmm. But my biggest thing was, you know, we changed a lot of things at the start of the school year this year. And especially going remote was hard enough as, you know, for the students when they put in a new program, you know, Empower. I don't know if Brandon, I don't know what age his children are. So I'm not sure if they have to deal with Empower. But as a, you know, having a high schooler and a middle schooler, there were some bad things, you know, it was hard for the kids and remote learning. Oh, you know, as well. I mean, you're, you're a junior, right? But you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Empower has many glitches that um, still exist today. I mean, I've heard it's gotten better. I've heard it's gotten better, but I mean, when it first started, you roll into a remote learning and you're starting a brand new program. The teachers aren't even full speed on, you know, it created a perfect storm within the classrooms, you know, in that first semester, it was, you know, I had, a middle schooler who was crying in his room because he's like, I can't get in my class, dad. I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. I've emailed my teachers, you know, I'm going to fail, I, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's where I'm at on it, but the pandemic, it is what it was, you know, is what happened. We can't, we can't fix that. You know, the decision was made, you know, we went with it. Um, since we've gone back, I think it's gone really smooth. The teachers say it's gone well. You know, very few problems. You know, there are isolated little pods here and there, but seeing that it does, you know, that it, we can run the school, you know, through the pandemic and not, you know, have issues with it. And it was great for the kids to actually get back into the classrooms. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I am a bit curious about why our district chose Empower as our learning management system. So Matt, if you can maybe tell us a bit more about why Empower was chosen. Empower was the uh, learning management system that was agreed to in that uh, decision-making process. So when uh, the money from the CARES Act, uh, that initial relief package that Congress provided, when that money came in, we had already known for a year or so before that, that we were going to go to a learning management system like Empower. We didn't know that it was gonna be Empower, but we knew that we wanted one because what was happening in the district before the pandemic started was actually institutional change when we adopted uh, competency-based learning in a small um, trial period where some teachers, not all teachers, adopted their uh, course design to fit with uh, competency-based learning. And it is a total 180 from uh, the way that school worked even when I was a student at Charleston High School. I graduated CHS in 2004. And back then, as usual, school worked like your class, you have a unit, you have a textbook, that unit covers a particular chapter from the textbook and there are exercises to go along with it. And the unit starts on a specific date and ends on a specific date with a test or a project or a paper or something at the end of the unit. And that's the class. That's the entire procession of a regular class. Competency-based learning doesn't work like that. Competency-based learning, which is what the district is moving toward for the full district, uh, allows students to set their own goals for what they want to achieve in the classroom and what they want to get out of their education. And it lets them move at their pace. So that way you can have different kids in the same class studying the same material, but moving at different speeds. And the kids that get their goals accomplished sooner can actually help the students that are having a hard time. And that way it's not just the teacher's responsibility to connect with each individual student, although the teacher still does. It's also the classmates' responsibility to, ke to mm -hmm. help each other out. And to, to do that, to, to accomplish that, you need something like Empower, that is a learning management system where all the documents and all the progress that each student is making in the class can be tracked and shared with everybody online and accessible from home. So that's why you need a learning management system. And it may be the case that we don't, I, I don't know if we'll stick with Empower because of all the issues we've had with it. And um, one experience that is here in Coles County, Lakeland College back in the 90s kind of pioneered online learning. And several uh, departments at Lakeland College have been 100% online for you know, the duration that they've had online learning. This has been years now. And their experience was that the first time, the first uh, learning management system that they applied was a flop. It didn't work. There was all kinds of problems and they stuck with it for about a year, year and a half. And then they switched and they have another one and they haven't gone back uh, to, the, to the old one. They've kept uh, the one they have now, I believe it's called Canvas. So um, while Empower is, uh, you know, the one that we went with, it's not guaranteed that we're going to stick with it. It's not guaranteed that, you know, we're going to change. But uh, 
if, if the teachers come to us and the students have a say in this, if the students raise their voices and they say that we don't want to stick with Empower, then school districts are going to have to come up with something different. Okay, so on the topic of competency-based education, also known as CBE, so there actually are a multitude of problems that occur in the classroom. Um, Some students procrastinate and wait until the final month of the semester to finish all of their activities in the playlist. And that puts a lot of pressure on teachers to grade um, in the final weeks even of the semester. So my question is, have you considered some of the downsides of CBE education? Uh, CBE is still so new and we're finding out more uh, as it goes along. Um, Teachers are finding out more about how to implement it and how it works in their classrooms. And they, they, you know, work with it as it goes. I've actually had the opportunity to visit a CBE classroom at the high school. Um, uh, The the French class uh, uses CBE and When I was there, it was a well-oiled machine. And I don't doubt that there are some classes where students, you know, the students do what students do. They procrastinate. That was the case when I was in school. It'll probably be the case when, you know, Drew's kids are having kids and their kids are in school. That's just how kids grow. And um, teachers are finding that out. Um, I I think that the the, one of the benefits of competency-based is that it allows teachers to tailor their methods and instruction for each individual student. So that way, if they do identify kids in their class who are having a hard time keeping up, they can get them the help that they need. And uh, I'm sorry it didn't work out that way in your class, but I've uh, heard uh, a lot of really great uh, stories from other classes. And I hope that uh, I, I don't think that we're worried about you being one of those kids that, you know, waits so long to get that stuff done. That doesn't sound like you. <laughs> um, and Brandon, um, have any of your children experienced issues with um, CB education um, or have they experienced any positive side effects, perhaps, of this new learning system? My kids would be fine. We could change, you know we could go back to tablet and stones. My kids would be just fine. Um, the problem that I, that I see, um, that has really been highlighted and really sticks out to me like a, a, it's a huge red flag is that not all kids and not all families are like mine. Um, and I think a lot of times, especially as administrators or representatives of people or anytime, anytime you have any type of governing body, it's really easy to start to believe that everybody lives the same life that you live. Um, so a couple things, um, I would like to just circle back just real quick on the, um, I know Matt said that there was no vote to close the schools. Um, Matt, did you say that you went by the, the state board of education's recommendation? Is that who recommended? There were a lot of institutions. So you got state board of education, department of public health, Coles County health department. Uh, these were all, you know, things we had to listen to. The vote yep. that the board actually took gotcha. was not so, to close, but the vote the board took was to adopt a new calendar, the new schedule. Once the decision was made yeah. to close, we had to change the Which, calendar a little bit. And so that's the vote that yeah. the board took. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. So um, I, I guess I, um, the issue I have there is the parents, 
by adopting a new calendar, essentially we closed the schools down. Um, so my problem, the problem I had is, and one of the main reasons that I've decided to run is, uh, I know Drew highlighted this in one of his previous statements. There are surrounding schools that stayed open um, and they were very successful. I think if we look back on the decision, I know you asked Drew um, if he felt like the, it was a correct decision. Um, I know we're kind of in a weird spot here um, with Matt having been on the board, but we absolutely made the wrong decision. I think the facts would play that out. Um, the fact that we're open now with COVID, more COVID cases now, way more COVID cases now than there were when we closed the schools, uh, and we still have not had any major issues in the schools is indicative of the fact that we absolutely made the wrong decision when we closed um, the schools. From a mental health perspective, um, I know the competency-based learning, the physical learning that takes place in the classroom is absolutely a priority. Um, but we really, where we really messed up and made the wrong decision here is mental health issues with kids. Kids are not designed to be isolated. Parents are not teachers. Most parents are not teachers. Um, I know Drew highlighted the fact that most daycares were full, and that is, that's a fact. My wife works at Cornerstone Christian Academy. If you were lucky enough to get your child into that uh, daycare, you know, then you had to pay for it. You know, you, we were adding five to $600 a month to a parent's budget. Parents just didn't have it. Um, the parents, a lot of parents were put in a position. I highlighted this at the board meeting I came to speak at. A lot of parents were put in a position. Um, do I do I continue to go to work uh, and pay basically my entire salary to have somebody else watch my kid? Or do I step away from work and stay home and help my kid with their schoolwork and with their daily daily routine? Um, the 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 learning the competency-based learning to me is not nearly as much of an issue as the fact that I do feel like the community feels like there has to be somebody or multiple people on that board, no matter who recommends what, that is going to stand up and, and voice the opinion of the community. Um, I think, you know, even if the vote was still or the decision was still made, to close the schools, if there had been somebody make a statement to say, hey, listen, this is not right. What we're doing to the parents is not right. What we're doing to these kids is not right. I know just recently, uh, Clark County in, in the state of Nevada, the fifth largest school district in the nation is now clamoring to open the schools because the suicide rate amongst students is so high in that state. Um, I'm afraid we took a very short-term problem. The pandemic is real. It was a real, it's a real thing. COVID is real. I've had it. Um, I've had multiple family members that have had it. We've had multiple people at the church that have had it. It is absolutely a real thing. But I think we have caused so much long-term damage by what we decided to do. Um, like I said, my kids are fine. I'm sure Drew's kids are fine. We're, my, our kids are going to be perfectly fine. The kids without the parental structure, the kids without the family, you know, the kids with the alcoholic parent, the drug addicted parent, those are the kids that fell through the cracks. Um, and I think anytime you have one kid that falls behind or starts entertaining suicidal thoughts because they've been disconnected from society, I, I think if it happens to one kid, there's no way we can say we made the right decision. So as far as competency, I know that's a long answer, I, and I really didn't even answer about competency-based learning because to me that's a non-issue. Um, I think we I think we work through those things. Um, like Matt said, kids will always procrastinate. I've been there. I mean, I logged on to this call at 416, right? The very last minute, actually a minute late. Um, kids will always procrastinate. 
all, they always will. You're not going to change that. My focus is more on we, we've got to make decisions that are right for the students. And I know the State Board of Education made many recommendations. Um, actually, the health department would have backed any decision that was made through my discussions with the health department. So the district would have had the full backing of the health department had they remained open. Um, anyhow, what I was saying is I'm afraid that we lost track of what was really important through the process of almost just trying to make too much of a politically correct decision. Okay. So, Drew, do you feel like the district should have done more to ensure students' safety during the remote phase? Um, and if so, what else do you think that they should have done? Well, like I said, my wife, she's a paraprofessional at the high school. And I think they, they did it right by saying they could come in. You know, there were, there were opportunities for kids who were struggling to come in. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, text or, you know, you know, Snapchat, things like that seem to reach the kids a lot, lot more than just, you know, hey, we're posting out here on the, on, the, on the web page for the school, Facebook. A lot of kids don't follow the school Facebook page. You know, there's no reason to. Um, but, I mean, it's, we, we could have reached out to the kids, you know, during remote. Uh, like, like my biggest concern is, and I'm sure Brandon and Matt are the ones who come to school for that meal or for that, you know, the warmth or, you know, the air conditioning or just to have a safe place for those hours. You know, that's where we, especially like the uh, programs, like I said, the after school programs, the before school programs, we, um, we drop the ball on that. You know, we push that ball to the side because, hey, we're going to worry about education, which is fun, you know, but that's one tract. There's a lot more to that. There's a bigger dynamic than just going to, you know, being learning. You know, you know, it's like I said, you know, there's people don't realize there's a high poverty poverty rate in Charleston. You know, we just I think it's on the back burner. We don't you know, we don't think about it. You know, our day goes on. But, you know, I know there's a lot of kids in those schools. You know, they come to school to eat, you know, to get an education. But they're there to eat and to be safe during those hours. And I mean, it's just to reach out, you know, just saying, Hey, you know, like my wife, she contacted all of her students to let them know you can still come into the school. The teachers are going to be there. Just let me know you're coming. You know, we have to make sure you have a mask. We have to make sure we take your temperature, but if you need to come into the school, you know, we're here to do it. I don't know. If, I wasn't privy on if they ran bus routes or not for those kids who needed it. I know they had talked about it later, but I mean, it was something, you know, they could have thought about. So, hey, we're still going to run a limited bus route if you really need to get into the schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would have been a good idea. So if I may. Of course. I, uh, I have uh, my notes from the time that I went to observe the French class, Mr. Cahoon's French class. So the way CBE works in Charleston is that students have to demonstrate mastery of the subject before they move on to uh, the next subject. And you have to score either a three or a four in that, in that topic. And if you're stuck, like on back at a one for too long, uh, if, the, if the class ends and you've got a one in any of your topics, then you fail the class. And that's, that's the, the challenge that uh, students and teachers are running into. So when, you know, we use competency-based education, we've got to have what we call one-to-one -one technology. So that way, 
every student in that class has access to a laptop as the lesson is going on. So we had started that. And actually now, um, as a result of the money from the CARES Act, we've now got one-to-one -one technology for students in the district. They have laptops they can take home if they need them. They have uh, hotspots for parents and families with uh, limited access to you know, uh, reliable internet. Uh, they can get those things. And that's, that's stuff that wasn't thrown together on the fly or done you know, haphazardly. The, the deliberative uh, process that uh, the administration took in reaching that decision was brought to the board. We were briefed on it, we approved it, but it wasn't you know, slapdash or, or uh, hastily thrown together. We, we did the best we could. And in and, and an effort like this, you know that there will be mistakes. Um, and you try and correct them and learn from them and uh, adapt them as you go. Uh, that's just the way it is when you're dealing with something as big as a school district in a town as big as Charleston. Sure, maybe other schools kept their uh, students coming to school, but they have much lower, um, you know, attendance or the, not lower attendance, but lower uh, admission numbers. Um, and it was easier to design protocols for a smaller school in a smaller district to keep the kids safe. In a place like Mattoon or Charleston, we have a unique set of challenges. And uh, when we were able to adopt the protocols to keep everybody safe, we reopened. But until that happened, I think the decision we made was the right one. Mm -hmm. So I wanna move on to a more recent topic, um, which is the joint statement that all of you released um, actually yesterday. And I'm going to read a, a portion of it right now. Quote, regular, reliable elections keep the flame of democracy burning of new generations. Our Coles County election officials are professionals. They know what it takes to administer a free and fair election without the cloud of partisan influence to obscure or confuse the outcome. Rest assured, on April 6th, one of us will be elected to the CUSD1 board. Then on April 7th, all three of us will remain proud Charlestonians, pledge to support our institutions and committed to helping our community move forward. So my question is, what motivated all of you to release a statement? And whoever wants to can answer this question. Uh, all credit for that statement goes to Matt. Uh, Matt reached out to me. I was about to say, it was all, yeah, it was Matt. <laughs> and, and listen, it was an eloquently written statement. It was very professional of Matt to reach out. Um, I would like to say I would have extended the olive branch if I was the incumbent to the two guys running against me. I can't honestly say that I would have done that. So for him to do that showed me a lot of his character. I think Matt's a stand-up man. I think Matt's a great individual. He's an asset to the community. Um, I appreciate everything that he's done on the board. We don't always have to agree. Matter of fact, if we all agree, there's probably an issue. Um, healthy disagreement is what this uh, country was founded upon. I think it's how our institutions run. Um, but I will say, if I ever do a picture with the three again, Matt, you cannot wear the Cardinals mask. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. <laughs> oh, my God. I think that um, you don't find uh, such good sports in all levels of politics, you know, but but at school board, you know, um, nothing the three of us say about what happened in Washington, D.C. and in other state capitals is really going to amount to a hill of beans because you know there's there's so much else going on there but 
for us, for our town and uh, for the, the local races that are on the ballot on April 6th, we, the fact that the three of us could come together and say that, you know, we trust our county clerk. We trust the staff that run the elections, the volunteers that show up to the polling places to run the equipment. They're gonna do a good job and you're gonna be able to rely on the outcome. And whoever wins is gonna be a good school board member for the community. And I, I think that's an important place to start because it's, 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 there's so much up in the air right now, un unnecessarily. And if we're gonna encourage people to keep running for office and to keep participating in democracy the way Brandon and Drew and I are doing, we need to be able to make statements like that. And, you know, as, as candidates, we have a better insight, I think, to how elections work in this county and encouraging people to take stock in the outcome and to rely that what, you know, what the county clerk tells us the outcome is, is what the outcome is. And that's, that's something that goes without saying. Yeah, that's such a great message, um, especially for the youth um, in Charleston that what happened uh, in the Capitol um, is not normal. And people can be a lot more civil um, in future elections. That's a great message. Um, so my final question um, for all of you, um, voters will have three options on April 6th. So what is one reason why they should vote for you? And we can start with Brandon. Okay, so um, I would encourage voters um, to vote for me because uh, like most of the parents of school age kids in this district, um, I have a job and I have kids in the school district. Um, so I understand what it's like to try to juggle um, both things during a pandemic. I understand the financial strain that parents were put on, um, put in during the COVID crisis and the decisions that were made um, in regards to our schools. Um, I can relate um, as a pastor. I can relate to a lot of the uh, uh, mental health issues that many kids are facing, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear um, that they didn't have even just two years ago. Uh, we've have We've had students that have had their uh, graduations not happening. Uh, we've had many kids mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, I think back to when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. I mean, that's really the, the prime of your, your youth. And, and for lots of kids, those years were just kind of ripped away from them. Um, I understand that. I was just like Matt. I was a graduate of Charleston High School. I graduated in the year 2000. Um, so I understand. I can empathize with the parents. I, I can. I, I'm there with them. I mean, I've cried with parents at church. I've I've prayed with parents over decisions that were being made. Um, I've seen my two kids go through issues that you know just two years ago I never would have thought would have been a problem um, with my kids. So as a parent, I, I empathize with them. I know what they're going through, um, and I promise to be a voice for those parents that had genuine concerns with the way things were handled, I promise to speak up uh, for them and their kids uh, in the upcoming term. Okay. And Matt, what is one reason why voters should vote for you on April 6th? Well, first of all, Gavin, thank you again for getting this thing put together. Brandon and Drew, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for coming here uh, and doing this. I think if there's just one reason that people should vote for me, I work my tail off. 
And I put my, everything I've got into this job because, you know, there's, there's just, my dad always said, uh, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And uh, that's how I've approached this. And, and uh, to the extent that I make mistakes, which I do, I'll cop to it. But when you're working hard, you're probably going to make some mistakes. And you got to be able to just learn from it and move on. And I hope that's what we've done. I think that um, this uh, period that we're in right now for Charleston schools is very exciting. We are um, in a different financial position than we've been in in several years past where, you know, in years past before I got to the board, they were had to, having to make so many cuts because the financial condition that we were in was awful. And, you know, we've got the 1% sales tax now. We're putting money away in addition to spending money up front to fix the buildings and uh, make, you know, the school facilities up to 21st century class. And uh, with uh, competency-based education, we are going in such a different direction than we've ever had before. I think it is transformative to the actual, you know, quality of the education that we can deliver here in Charleston. You see this kind of stuff in fancy, rich, suburbs in Chicago, they've had competency-based education and STEM fields, STEM science, technology, engineering, and math for years and years. And here now we're finally getting to make some of those investments ourselves. And, you know, it's, it's something really to be, uh, something I'm proud of and it, it's just exciting to be a part of. And it, uh, this is the time for people that have a bent toward policy and an idea about how to do things a little differently and try to improve things for kids and for families. This is a really cool time to be doing this job. So I'm excited to get back to work. Mm -hmm. And then Drew, what is one reason why voters should vote for you on April 6th? I think the biggest thing is transparency. I really do. Um, I, like I said, I'm a coach. So I know what it is to try to relate to your individuals. And that's where I'm, I've always been an approachable person. And I wanted to see Charleston succeed. I may not have graduated from here, but this is our home. Uh, this has been, this will be our home. My wife is looking to get a job with the district. Like I said, I have three boys in the school district. I have a uh, second grader, so I'm going to be here for quite a while. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's I want to make it the best possible school district that we can with the abilities that we have. I'm not, you know, I'm not looking for a money tree or a fix overnight. And you get on the school board, it's not a one project and you're done. Um, you know, it's four years. You think past that, you think I got a kid who's going to be in school at least 10 more years in the program. Whenever he gets to the high school, I want it to be the best to prepare him for the future. Um, I understand, you know, we have problems right now. Um, they're trying to fix it. They're trying to fix the facilities and it's wonderful. Um, but I want to continue that, not just do it once. Let's, let's keep it up. Let's keep the maintenance going. Um, comp C based, like you said, it is here. Um, I got my master's degree through comp C based. So I understand how it's supposed to work, but right now it's in its infancy. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt for a while to, to work the kinks out, but I think it's a great idea. Um, it'll really help the students in the classroom uh, once they figure out what competency based is. So as you know, as a candidate, if I was a board member, 
the biggest thing I'm looking at is I want, uh, even for a student like yourself, to know exactly what's going on above you and why those decisions are being made because they ultimately affect you. You know, it affects our teachers. You know, let the teachers know why we're changing the competency based and how it's going to affect their day-to-day planning. How Empower changes the way they do their lesson plans. I'm sure you had a, a math math class with Empower. Mm-hmm. That's a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, it's a nightmare. My, my son was trying to ask me how you do symbols. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, we were trying to figure it out. And nobody knew. So it was new. So it, it, was, it was stressful. I want to eventually take that stress away from the parents, you know, and I want them to think, send your kid to school. He's going to get the best education possible. We're going to give them the best resources we can. Um, and we'll go from there. You know, I obviously want to see all the same textbooks. I know a lot of classes have different textbooks. So we won't have enough new textbooks. You know, the computers are great now, you know, and I just want to see that continue on. And that's, you know, that's why I'm running. Yeah, that's my that's my platform. I want to make sure we're great now and I want to be even greater later. But I want you to know what's going on. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, again um, for coming on to the podcast. It's been a pleasure um, talking to all of you about your grind for the school board. So um, thank you, everyone. And that's the podcast. But before you go, I want to tell you a bit about my own initiative, Represented USA. Represented USA is a website that has a lot of resources to help you get involved in your central Illinois community. There are petitions for and against active Illinois legislation and a list of organizations for you to consider volunteering for, all on the website. I plan to add more resources soon, but for now, take a look at representedusa.com. The URL is in the show notes. And I'm telling you, Matt looks a lot better without that mask on, doesn't yeah. he? Aren't at you least, sweet? At least, I tell you. At least get yourself a Cubs or a Chiefs one, Matt. <laughs> <laughs>